Would you please remain standing as we read uh, God's word this morning? This is from Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Uh, just a minute, I'll dismiss the kids, but I want to introduce you to uh, my friend John Luzadder. John, uh, his wife Michelle live in Joplin, Missouri. They've got three boys, Atticus, uh, Silas, and Zeke. Um, John is my youth minister. He was our high school pastor at Westside Christian Church in Springfield, Illinois. Both Daniel and I were in his youth group, and he's, uh, he's a big reason that both Daniel and I are in ministry, so it's, it's pretty cool to have him here this morning. Um, John is the Vice President of Culture at CIY. CIY stands for Christ and Youth. And Christ and Youth has been around uh, for over 50 years now. And uh, like any good leader, John is a classic undersell. He would never brag about himself. But John is, uh, has been integral to the growth of CIY. Um, he started there, what, 10, 10 years ago, 11 years ago? Um, 13 years ago. Wow. 13 years ago. And um, since then, uh, all of their programs have, have grown. John's uh, involvement in that has been instrumental. So he would never say that himself, but I'll, I'll brag about him. Um, John's going to come and speak to us this morning about the Holy Spirit and about some of the work that CIY is doing and about how the local church and CIY partnered together to do kingdom work in the lives of students as well. So uh, we're going to roll a video that introduces Christ and youth a little bit more and what they do. And as that video rolls, parents, if you want to take your kids out to the lobby to meet Paul and Kara, that'd be great. Let's watch this video. CIY is not an events company. We've done events for years, but we've always been more than that. has forced all of us to reconsider everything and caused us to wonder, how do we change youth when the entire world changes? Moving ahead, some things will change, but many things will stay the same because we still believe in three big things. First things first, here at CRY, everything is rooted in the gospel. Our desire is that young people around the world clearly hear the message of Jesus in ways that resonate. Number two, we exist to serve the local church. We are the bridesmaid, never the bride. And as her needs change, our team will work around the clock to meet them. Number three, we get up every day thinking about how to call young people to kingdom work. We believe they're built for it and they're ready for it. Honestly, kingdom work is just little things like trusting him when you're broken and then just trusting that he's gonna use that to help other people and like to serve like the good of his kingdom. We believe kingdom work never stops. How will we work together to keep it going? By creating moments that inspire kingdom work through stages, through screens and conversation. Our goal is to serve thousands of churches around the world over the next decade. What for the spare tides and lights? No warmth. And no one will miss you. No one for hope tells you. Your love. You're worth the fight. And we'll continue to serve churches no matter what youth ministry looks like in the future. It should never be uh, underestimated the impact and influence that you all have uh, with those around you. Youth leaders, we got your back. Parents, we'll continue to spark conversations about faith. Because even if the way that we gather is different, we'll continue to focus on the way they're sent. 
because it's what happens next that counts. We are not an event company. We're an after the event company. We've been calling young people into lives of kingdom work for decades. And we're just getting started. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Super glad to be here today. Um, like Joel said, uh, I was Joel and Daniel's youth pastor. However, I want to clarify something. In no way am I responsible for either one of those two, okay? just want to be right up front. I want to make sure that, that that's understood. Um, excited about being with you today. Excited about talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, but first, I want to just talk a little bit about um, my experience. I grew up in a small town. Small town, Illinois, not necessarily small town, Kansas. Uh, 1,800 people in my town growing up, uh, oil fields and corn fields. That's what we had uh, surrounding our town. 52 in my high school graduating class, so small town, Illinois. I grew up in a Christian church. Uh, it wasn't community Christian church. It was first Christian church in Oblong, Illinois. And in, 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 in my church, and I'm not sure how it was in your church, um, there were some things that were said, but they really weren't ever said. But as I spent the time, anytime the church doors were open, uh, my parents thought it was best for the loser boys to be in church. Um, and so we would go, and there were some expectations in my church. Don't know what church you grew up in, don't know if you grew up in a church or not, but uh, let me just paint a little picture for you. I learned pretty quick at my church growing up that it was important that you be there. When I was growing up in some Christian churches around the U.S., they began this thing called perfect attendance. I remember if you were at church every week for a whole year, you got a little pin you could put on your shirt. We actually had those little gold stars. I don't know if you remember this or not. Some of you who were, yeah, we had gold stars. We put them all the way across, all the way across this whole uh, sheet that our Sunday school teacher would make to, to, to remind ourselves that we need to be at church. In fact, I had one guy in my church who had been to church every Sunday for 50 years. And he had a pin with a whole bunch of little bars that he could attach and once a year, they would get this out and hang it on his coat, and we would always be like, yay, Charlie, you're great. You would have perfect attendance at church for 50 years. No. no one ever looked at me and said, John, God cares that you're here every Sunday, but I knew in order to be a good kid, I needed to be at church. I also learned at my church, in order to be a good kid, that I needed to shut up and listen. I, I like to talk. I know that you might, not, you might be surprised about that, but I love to ask questions. I also love to uh, take my elbow and jam it into the kid next to me or uh, flick the girl in front of me's hair and, and uh, get her to, to squeal or uh, get up and have to go to the bathroom, different things like that. I was, had a little bit of energy when I was a kid, but I learned pretty quickly, week after week, John, sit down, listen, John, sit down, listen, we want to teach you something. And I got real good at coming to church and sitting down in a, sometimes a nice padded chair in my church and the rock hard wooden pew. And I learned to listen. I also had this at our church, and I don't know if you had this at your church growing up, but uh, every Sunday between first hour and Sunday school, they would bring in these two big gigantic boxes of donuts. And so for me, church was super great. You would go to church, you would shut up and listen, and you would eat the donuts. Pretty good little Sunday morning in my world growing up, and I used to think that's what God wanted me to do. God wanted me to come to church, he wants me to sit, up, sit down and listen, and eat the donuts. And I began to think, okay, this makes sense. If I want to be a good kid, this is what I got to do. I get a pen, I listen, I get 
I get a chocolate-covered donuts because the dude who bought donuts at our church spared no expense. I didn't have chocolate-covered donuts in my house, but at church we'd get chocolate, the long jobs. Was, yes, that was amazing. If you got in line early enough, you get the chocolate-covered donuts. And it was a pretty good recipe for being a good kid at First Christian Church in Oblong, Illinois. I'm not sure what you think God wants from you walking into here today, but maybe it's something along those lines. You know, I got a little bit older and began to realize, ah, it wasn't just about going to church and shut up and listen, eat the donuts. There were some other people around me who were doing some really cool things for God, and I was like, oh, I want to be like them. One of those people would dress up and would stand behind, at my church, it was a gigantic wooden thing with something draped over the top and a microphone coming out of the middle of it. I don't know, maybe you had one of those at your church too. And he would stand here and he would talk about the Bible and Scripture. And there was other people at my church who would stand behind these microphones and they would play songs on guitars and drum sets and pianos. And, and it was clear to me, well, wow, actually there's some other way that I can be the person God wants me to be at church is I don't have to just sit down and listen. I can also jump up on the stage and be a part of what's happening here. Or I can go down to the nursery and change diapers. And as I began to put some things together, the picture, and honestly, I painted it myself. I want to be 100% honest. But it was clearly painted for me. In order for me to be the person God wanted me to be, I needed to be at church. I needed to listen. I needed to learn how to sing or play, or I needed to love changing diapers and talking with kids. In order to be the person God wants me to be. I'll tell you this. I grew up with the wrong impression. That's not who God wants me to be. There's nothing wrong with coming to church and getting a bunch of pins. There's nothing wrong with sitting down and listening to someone talk. There's nothing wrong with eating donuts, especially the chocolate-covered ones, or being up on the stage, hanging out. However, at my church, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit very much at all. I knew he existed, and sometimes he looked like a dove, which in my mind, the Holy Spirit was a shapeshifter, and we'll get to my imagination here in just a little bit. Sometimes he would look like a dove, and sometimes he'd do some really cool things, but I can't remember anyone ever saying, uh, let's have a conversation about the Holy Spirit, and I love it that community is talking about the Holy Spirit for these last couple weeks. I love it that you had a chance to talk about the Holy Spirit being in you. That's a, that's a design from God, that he put his Spirit in your heart. We believe that when you get baptized, we, we even quote it before we get baptized sometimes. For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the... We say that. been saying it for hundreds of years, thousands of years. We've also talked about the Holy Spirit being on you. Today, we want to talk about this. The Holy Spirit working through you. Let's ask this question. How does God work through you? How does God work through me? As I shared with you, I went to a small church. And in my small church, we didn't talk about this, hardly at ever. At least not very formally. But I can remember this. I can remember sitting in my classes, the ones where you guys sit down and listen. I can remember sitting in those classes. I had a couple cool teachers who would give us a white sheet of paper and some crayons, and we could draw the pictures that they were reading about. It was super great for people like me who have a big imagination. And I can remember drawing pictures of people like Daniel in the lion's den. And I think, man, wouldn't it be cool to be Daniel in the lion's den? Wouldn't it be cool to talk to animals and get them to chill out, to hang out just long enough, to take a nap? In my mind, Daniel's laying on top of the lions, just taking a big old snoozer. You know how warm a lion would be? Some of you got cats and you lay them on your chest or you lay down beside your dog. Could you imagine a lion? 
Could you imagine rolling on top of him and being like, I'd be out in a second, especially old John, gone. That's Daniel taking a nap at the lions, even though they're so hungry. When they threw the other dudes in, they didn't even hit the ground before the lions ate them. I remember drawing that picture being like, man, it would be cool to be Daniel. I can remember drawing the picture of David who bent down and picked up five smooth stones and walked out into a field and saw a giant of a man, a man so big, our brains can't even comprehend how tall Goliath was. I love watching the NBA. None of those dudes as tall as Goliath. Not David. He's not scared of him. Picks him up, runs out in the field, swings the sling. I remember drawing this picture of how cool it would have been to have been David running towards a giant. I can remember drawing pictures of Elisha. Elijah. You drop an axe head in the water, no problem. I just throw a stick in. It floats right to the top. How cool would it be to have the confidence of knowing God's going to be there to bail you out any time at any moment. Your, your son's dead, no problem. I'll lay down beside him. They come right back to life. Elijah's got some crazy stories in the Bible. And at the end of the day, he gets to ride, not in a hot rod, not in a NASCAR. He gets to ride in a fiery chariot out of the earth up into heaven. Now, I'll be honest and tell you this. In my picture of Elijah, He's driving all the way around the earth because if I got a free ride in a fire chariot, I would want the entire world to see me like, what's up now, suckers, look at my car. That's what we all would want to do. And in my mind, as I drew these stories in the Bible, I would think to myself, wouldn't it be so cool to be like those guys? I didn't have VeggieTales videos. I didn't have all kinds of cool stuff that we have today. I just had an imagination and a crayon and a white sheet of paper. But I remember dreaming what it would be like for God to use a kid from a small town. It wasn't just the Old Testament people. As I would flip through the pages of my New Testament, my imagination would again be captivated. I would love to read stories of Jesus and his disciples. Do you know how cool it would be to have been there the day that Jesus bends down, scoops up some dirt, spits in his hands, which you're not supposed to do if you're a good Christian boy, but Jesus does it anyway, spits in the dirt, and makes a big old mud ball. Now, at my house, there's trouble coming if I've got a mud ball in my hand and my parents catches me. That's how it was growing up. But not with Jesus. He was super cool. He spit on the ground, made a big old mud ball, had a blind man he was talking to, rubbed it on the dude's eyes. The dude washes his eyes off, and he can see again. I, I've never heard anybody else like that doing that. You know how cool it would have been to have been there beside Jesus when he's got, okay, I got, I got some loaves and some fish, and I got to feed 5,000 people. In my mind, pretty great. How about the time that he comes walking out on the water to his disciples, and your friend Peter gets out of the boat and takes maybe one, maybe two, maybe ten, maybe 25. If I was Peter, I'm hitting that ground running as fast as possible, because I know I sink on water. Not Peter, for a few moments, wouldn't it have been so amazing to be beside Jesus when he's doing all of these crazy miracles? In my mind, it would have been. I can remember sitting in my church wishing something like that cool, like that could happen to me. I don't know if you know this or not, and I don't know if you know what the Bible says about the Spirit, but here's what the Bible says. I think sometimes, let me, let me back up, I think sometimes we're content with living a Christian life like we think it's supposed to be lived. For me, that is walking in the back doors, 
sitting in a padded chair, listening to people, eating donuts, and never running in church. That's not what God has planned for us. But sometimes that's as good as my Christian life gets. There ought to be something more. I think Jesus has a plan for it. I don't think Jesus' desire is for John to have an imagination about how cool it might be to be like Daniel or David or Elisha or with the walking on the water. But Jesus has a plan for you, for me, to experience that same kind of life. There's a story in the Bible, a great story, John chapter 16. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples for the very last week. He's talking about several different things. And one of the things that he talks about, Jesus brings up the subject of the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe your church didn't talk a lot about it growing up. My church didn't talk a lot about it growing up. But Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit with his disciples. In fact, he says this. He says, uh, but very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world that the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands stands condemned. Jesus says this, hey, chill out. I know I'm leaving, but what's coming is better. Think about that for a moment. Jesus gave us the Spirit, and His intention was that it would be better than following Him around for the rest of our lives. Watching Him break bread, watching Him heal dead people, watching Him heal lame people and sick people, in my mind, that's pretty cool. Jesus says, no, the Spirit in your heart, John, is better. You ever thought about that? You ever realize that you and I are living in the best time to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's better for us to not actually walk around with sandals and robes and follow Jesus. But his opinion is, it's better that we learn how to live with the Spirit in us, working through us. Think about it. The church and all of its people are designed to be led and directed by God's Spirit. This is not necessarily a new thing. You can flip back into your Old Testament. There's a crazy book called Ezekiel. You ought to read that. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you in to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. The prophet Joel says something similar. He says this, And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's God's design for His Spirit to be active in our life. You know, sometimes I think we think this. God's Spirit came at Pentecost, and we remember those stories in Acts chapter 2. We remember that after Jesus has died and risen and gone up into the sky, Peter and the rest of his buddies stand out there and they begin to, to talk to people. And everyone around them understands them. And they begin to not just talk, but also to share the good news of the message of Jesus. That Jesus was here to teach us, to lead us. That Jesus had died and come back to life to give us hope and a new life. And as he shared, people's hearts were broken and they said to Peter, what do we have to do? 
And we think that is amazing the way for the Spirit to be poured out on people's lives. And the story doesn't stop there. That same group of people began to meet together. They began to pray together. They began to break bread and read Scripture and share possessions with other people. And we think to ourselves, oh, that's really, that's, that's what it's like to have God's Spirit. And for some of us, God's Spirit being in our heart is cool. But watching it play out in everyday lives is really kind of stuck between the bindings of our Bible. Sometimes we read those stories and we think this. I could never do that. That was cool for Peter. But that's just not my personality. Those stories are good. They're old stories out of the Bible, but they might be a little bit out of touch for the day. I disagree. I think God's plan is for you and I, His people, to be filled with the Spirit and to live lives of kingdom work. I think that God's plan is for you and I to be filled with the Spirit and to live lives of kingdom work. Here's what I'm talking about. I was a kindergartner in a small Christian school. Four kids in my kindergarten class. My teacher, Oma McCarty, 82 years old. I want to say that one more time. 82 years old, a kindergarten teacher with four kindergartners in her class. Mrs. McCarty's legs didn't work. Her chair had wheels on the bottom of it, and she would scoot around. And sometimes, when we got Henri, we would push her around. Maybe sometimes a little too fast, because we didn't know that people were breakable back then, okay? But 82 years old. She was my kindergarten teacher and my first grade teacher. She didn't just do it one year for a short term. She said, you know what? I'm willing to come out of retirement because I want to invest in kids' lives. Oma McCarty was the first person to ever squeeze my face and say, John Luzatter, you frustrate the snot out of me. But God's got big things in store for you. I'm 47 years old. I can still remember that moment and smell her perfume when I think about it. 82-year-olds can make a difference. They don't have to just have made a difference in their life. They can still do it today. Oma McCarty. I preached in a small church. Uh, I was a youth pastor in a small church in Illinois before I was in Springfield with Joel and Daniel. Uh, I remember her name was Crystal, and she sat over here every week. She came by herself with her two daughters, and she would pray that her husband would meet Jesus. He was a little bit of a wild man. I was there for six years, and about three years in being there, uh, he decided to give his life to Jesus. He had seen enough of what it was looked like to live like a wild man and realized there was a better way to do it, and we, we got a chance to baptize him. And he decided, hey, I want to do whatever I can to help out at church. I want to be, I want to be the, the best church person possible. What do I do? And I was like, well, do what everybody else does. You come to church, you sit down, you eat the donuts. And I said, why don't you come be a youth, a youth group sponsor too? Well, I'll be honest, he's terrible at being a youth group sponsor because he's like a sixth grade boy in a 40-year-old man's body. He's laughing all the time, cutting up, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, getting the kids all wound up. And I was like, hey, James, you're a gigantic distraction. You can't come back. I love you. You can't come back and help out. And his question is this. Well, what do I do? What, what, what can God use me to do? And I was like, that's a really great question, James, but it ain't youth group, so don't come back. 
I actually said this, James, what are you good at? And he's, man, uh, he's a farm boy. He owns too much property in the middle of central Illinois where the, where the dirt is black and rich. And he says, uh, I love to hunt. I was like, cool. Let's figure out how God can use your hunting ability. And he did. We had a kid in our group uh, who had a family, but they were a bit of a train wreck. A couple members of his family in jail, uh, a couple members of his family um, some really, in some really bad shape physically. And this young man found himself at home alone a lot growing up. And I, I said, uh, James, can you teach this kid to hunt? This kid who loves to watch WWE and play video games, any chance you could teach him how to hunt? And he bought him a shotgun, and he bought him some camo, and they would go out and sit in the woods, and they would talk about Jesus and church, and they would hunt deer and turkey. And then he adopted them into his family, and now on the other edge of this large piece of land that this man owns, there's a house owned by who? And he doesn't stop there because over the years, James has bought over 10 shotguns for junior high boys and camo and sat out in the woods and had conversations about Jesus and about church and about what God could possibly do in their life if they let him lead them. Doesn't look anything at all like eating a donut or playing the piano because James can't do either one of those two things that he can hunt. I was a youth pastor out on the East Coast, and uh, we were wrestling around with this. What does God want us to do issue? What does it look like for God to be alive in our lives? There's no giants for us to chase down. No one's locking us in these dens with lions. There's not axe heads that get lost in the river, and we've got to go find them. And I, we don't know what to do with dead people, so we just stand in the line and say, I'm so sorry. We, this is weird. And we're asking this question, what does God want us to do with a ju- bunch of junior high kids? And this one kid, he's a smart kid, he raised his hand, he's like, uh, God wants me to share my Xbox. And I was like, no, God does not want care about your stupid video game. He's like, no, God really wants me to share my Xbox. I was like, okay, Josh, tell me what God has planned for you and your Xbox. I can't wait to hear this. There's a little bit of sarcasm in me. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. He's like, well, here's the deal. Uh, me and my brother, we got a game that takes four people to play in order for it to be awesome. So we're going to bring our buddies over to our house every Tuesday night after school and they'll play uh, video games with us, and then we'll have dinner, and then mom will take them home, and we'll talk about our church, and we'll talk about Jesus while we play video games. And I was like, mm, I know boys, and most boys don't do that. We will, we will, that's what we're going to do. Okay. I can't wait to see this. And over the next three years, eight of Josh's friends started coming to our church and jumped in a tank like this and decided to follow Jesus because one kid in his Xbox. She was a senior in Rochester, Illinois, <clears throat> involved in everything. She was one of those who, at the, on graduation day, was going to have a bunch of those things on her head and around her neck and all that different kind of stuff because she's pretty great. But she would wake up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning every morning to do three paper routes. Not because she was saving for college, because she was saving money to send overseas the three children she had decided she needed to sponsor so they had a shot in life to give them the food that they need, the schooling that they need, and the clothes that they need to sponsor a kid in compassion. She would wake up every morning even though right after that she had to go to practice 
and then to school and then to practice again. It looks like a youth group in Indiana, a small town, who went to a youth camp, and at that youth camp, they heard things they never heard before. They heard people talk about Jesus in ways that just made sense, and they're like, well, this is crazy. And they got so excited, some of them, when they went back home, made decisions to follow Jesus and publicly got baptized. Some of their parents did too. And then when the next summer came around, they said, what can we possibly do to make a difference in our community? And the students said, you know what, we should invite our friends, and we should take them back to that same summer camp. And that's what they did. Fifteen kids raised money enough to take two of their friends each. I'll let you do the math real fast. Forty-five. The next year came to this summer camp to allow their friends to have the exact same experience that they got to have as their life was changed with Jesus. Why am I telling you these stories? Because I used to sit in these pews and think the only way that God could use me is if I shut up and listen if I eat the donut, or if I stand up in front of one of these and play my guitar, or my piano, or I change the diaper. Those things are absolutely needed as a part of God's church. However, there are some of you in this room who God has given an absolutely different platform. He has not said, I will put my spirit in your heart so you can show up to your church on Sunday and be a good Christian. That's what I used to think was what he meant. It's not. God's Spirit does not live in my heart only on Sundays. He's there on Monday when I wake up and feel grumpy. On Tuesday when my life is so crazy, I can't even think straight, and there's no way it's all going to get done. He's there on Wednesday when I am tired and foggy, and Thursday when I don't want to deal with it, but I can't wait till Friday. God's Spirit is in my heart all of those days. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but when we read through the Bible and we hear these stories of people doing crazy stuff, people like Philip in Acts chapter 8, who's hanging out and God's like, yo, Philip, I want you to head south. And he heads south and he runs into this guy in a chariot, this guy from Ethiopia, and the guy's reading something. Philip's like, what are you reading? And the guy's like, I don't know. He's like, do you understand it? He's like, no. He's like, do you want me to help you? He's like, sure. So he jumps up in the chariot and he helps him. And we think, We think that that's cool, really cool when I read it in my Bible. Did you know this? The same spirit that took Philip from that point and put him in that chariot with the Ethiopian is the same spirit that God has given to you and you and you and you and you and and me and you and you. The same one. And we think, that's cool for Philip, but not for me. Here's my question today. What is cool for you? What did God make you to do? Not necessarily in your past. That's super great. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. What did God make you to do today? And tomorrow? And the next day? And the next day? And you may say, I'm not so sure God made me that way. Here's the deal. I know He did. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Daniel's read it to you already. For you were made... For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reality is, every one of us in this room was shaped and created and made for something special. The question is, what is that? You might be sitting there today thinking, 
I know, but man, I can't do that. It's pretty hard. I'm sure it is. I'm absolutely sure it is. I think fear is a huge reason most of us don't get to experience what it's like to have God's Spirit living and working in us and through us. The reality is this. When we're around those types of people, I'll speak for myself. When I'm around those types of people, I'm often inspired. I want to be inspired by people who do things out of the ordinary to love and help other people. I want to be inspired by people who care about people that most people don't care about, who make ways for people who just seem like they're stuck, who pass along forgiveness to people who are just caught in anger and frustration. I love being around those types of people. I'm going to guess that probably some of you do too. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you believe this or not. God made you to be those type of people. He made you to be the Oma McCarty's who says, I have no excuse. Age is not an excuse. I can still serve God's kingdom. I can still invest in God's kingdom at 82. He made some of you to be hunters who say, I got no excuse. I don't care if new people scare the deer away, but it's a great opportunity for you to tell them about Jesus because that's your most comfortable spot in the world. There's some of you in here who've got great video game consoles, and it's all about you. You've got to learn how to share. There's some of you who are in here who are part of some really cool families who are broken and jacked up, and there needs to be an agent of peace. It might be you. This is what it looks like for God's Spirit to work through us. He made us to respond. He made us to understand that when the Holy Spirit works through us, kingdom work isn't just a one-time thing. It's actually a lifestyle. I want to introduce you to my friend, Max. It's a new revolution, a new revolution. I was at youth group the other day, and I heard this um, sermon, and it was about um, kingdom work, and there was this story during the sermon about this uh, guy and his wife, and they were driving home, and um, they saw this old lady who needed leaves that needed to be raked. She was out there raking, and he was kind of arguing with himself on if he should go and help the lady or not, and his wife's like, oh, look, she needs help, and he's like, oh, no, she's fine, like, she's got it, she's doing good, and... So he ended up going home, but then he ended up feeling guilty. So he went back and helped the lady. And the lady uh, turned out that she actually really needed help and that her husband um, wasn't able to do it. And so um, he ended up helping her, and he felt a lot better about that. I was making jerky the other day, and uh, I was selling some to my youth pastor, so I ended up driving over to his house to deliver some jerky to him. And as I was driving home, 
I saw this old lady chipping ice uh, on her driveway. First thing that popped into my head was that, that story of that guy seeing the lady who needed the, the leaves raked. And so I had that in the back of my head and I saw the lady and I couldn't quite tell if she needed help, but she was out there, um, you know, breaking away the ice. And so, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, COVID-19, I don't know if she's going to want me to pull up on her driveway and, um, you know, be near her. And, and so I kind of drove by um, in the movie it, or in the video about the guy who stopped the He um, heard this other story about this guy slamming on the brakes and getting out and uh, to help the lady, and so I saw the lady, and I didn't slam on the brakes because it was icy, so I just kept driving a little bit, um, but I eventually came to a stop, and I was kind of debating with myself, and that sermon was in the back of my head, and I realized that, you know, it was, you know, it was my job as a kingdom worker to go back and to help that lady, so I flipped a Yui, and I went back and pulled in the driveway. The lady was looking at me a little weird, and I got out, and I, she had a long driveway, so I was yelling to her, and um, I said, can I help you? Fear is a big part of people making their decisions, because um, they're worried what other people might think. They're worried about um, getting shut down, and, um, and just being kind of pushed away. I'd, I'd say that's probably the biggest reason why um, fear, or their, you know, fear of, you know, something bad happening, or... Um, or just, you know, going and trying to do something and then it turning around and backfiring on them. So I was like, all right. So I walked over and I started chipping ice for her. And in the back of my mind, that sermon was just in the back of my head of like, you know, what a coincidence that, you know, two days later that this would happen. So that was in my mind. And um, I was also like, you know, I got to get home. Mom's waiting for me for dinner. And uh, I got chores to do before it gets dark. And so... I was just kind of debating, you know, do I, do I take the time out of my day to stop and um, help this lady? And so I kind of drove by her house, and, um, and I was still debating it. And, um, and I said, if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. And so I said, I got to get over the fear of, you know, you know, maybe this lady doesn't want me there or talking to her. And so I just had to go back and help the lady out. A good way that I was able um, to do some kingdom work and just an opportunity presented itself and um, a great opportunity it was. I'm Max Miller and kingdom work is a lifestyle. Here's a question today. What's it look like for you to allow God's spirit to work through you? Is it a conversation that maybe you need to have? Is it you stopping to help someone? or actually fulfilling a commitment to remain? Does it look like you giving to people who you know needs your help, or maybe even your cash? Does it look like your family adopting another family, or maybe even another person into your family? Does it look like you investing in the high school students that come to your church, and walking down and not just having breakfast, but having conversations? I can't answer this question for you. Here's what I know. I know God doesn't expect you to show up, sit down and listen, and eat the donut. He's made you for better reasons than that. He has shaped you uniquely and wonderfully so you, through the Spirit, can be a kingdom worker. And you can use your gifts, talents, and abilities to love and serve somebody else for the sake of the kingdom. I hope fear doesn't keep you from doing that today.
Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Please give us the courage to use what you've given us to make a difference in someone else's life. Pray these things in your son's name.